you would and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. How many of you are looking forward to that day that we can meet together in heaven and actually speak with our Ivorian brothers and sisters in Christ and understand each other? Amen. And uh, it is just amazing. Uh, I'll tell you, we've had some real sad things happen in our missionary family over the last several months. I think the total is six or seven different families that have either resigned or come home or one or other just got another letter this last week of another family that's coming back from the field. And uh, it has not been easy for the Max and Ivory Coast. Uh, they have, and we're not here to worship them or set them on a pedestal. Uh, it, it's been a struggle. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have had to struggle to show up and stay faithful? How many people have dropped out that we know of over the years? And I mean, these are things that happen. And, and just trying to tie all things together, Jesus is sending letters to his churches here in this first several chapters of Revelation. And uh, I'm sure Brother Mack would give testimony that the problems that are dealt with in these letters to the churches are the majority of the issues that he's dealing with in his church and that we have dealt with here at Open Door Bible Baptist. And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. Amen? You get close to Jesus and the problems just go away now, don't they? You get away from Jesus and the problems just gather around and try to destroy your soul. Now, let's just take 30 seconds of review and I'm going to try to have you out here on time. So we're not going to cover a whole lot tonight, but uh, try to get the ground set and keep moving in our uh, Bible study here. But let's just start at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now we have John describing Jesus in the verses previous to we, that we've read, and, and John's description is very similar to Daniel's description when Daniel was faced with the same person. And though we did not get a, a detailed description or as detailed a description from the Mount of Transfiguration when James and John, there are still similarities that we can see in each one of these appearances of the glorified Christ. 
I love the words of Daniel. He said, my comeliness. Now Daniel was probably in his late 70s or early 80s. He just fainted within his soul at beholding or looking at the glorified Christ. But here's how Jesus describes himself here. He says, I am the first and the last. You know, we could solve a lot of problems just by listening to Jesus' description of himself. The Jehovah's Witness cult has always tried. They're arguing about it today. They're actually having debate among themselves as to whether Jesus Christ is the very God of gods or he's just the first of the created beings. All you have to do is read what the Bible says. I am the first and the last. Only God could make that statement. By the way, it took the Orthodox and the Catholic churches when they were combined early in history Uh, They argued back and forth for the first 400 years of their history, 451 A.D., the first definitive statement on the deity of Jesus Christ at the Council of Chalcedon. And what just puzzles me, yes, there were certain parts of the church that believed in the deity of Christ, other parts didn't, and they would come and they would argue this way and then they would argue that way. How can a church claim to be Jesus' true church if they don't know who he is? Now, I know that's mean-spirited. And I don't intend it to be. But what I want us to get a hold of here, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches. Were they the only churches in existence as to why he wrote seven letters to these seven churches? Absolutely not. What about the church at Antioch where they were first called Christians? Why didn't they get a letter? What about the church at Jerusalem? What about the church in Rome? He wrote to the seven churches in Asia, which today we call Turkey. And he said, I have chosen these seven churches to receive my letters. But he introduces himself as the first and the last. Could I just throw one word in here? Authority. If you are the first and the last, what is the statement, the cliche the world always uses? The winner is the last man standing. I mean, that goes for the boxing ring and, and uh, in many of our sports that we watch today, you can watch one team get tired and weary and they kind of just step back a little bit and the other team surges forward because they've got the strength. He says, I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm the beginning of the conversation, I'm the end of the conversation. If I don't say it, it doesn't need to be said. That's, that's really, if we were putting it in the vernacular, wouldn't that be one of the ways that we might express this? You said, but that's, that's, you're being a little dogmatic more than Jesus. No, read the words. The first, the last. Then he says, 
I am he that liveth. Now, in your English Bible here, there's a comma in there. And the reason that little comma is in there is to make sure that we have the clarity, uh, as much clarity in the English as we can gain from the Greek. These things are, are, very, are done very carefully. It's one of the reasons I love my King James Bible, and I don't want to trade it in for an imitation, uh, a newfangled one, because the scholarship just isn't there. It doesn't mean that people today are stupid. But let me ask you a question. What have lawyers done to the English language in the last 25 years? I mean, one of the boldest examples of foolishness, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Anybody remember that stupidity? Now, let me tell you, shortest book ever written, My Search for the True Killers by O.J. Simpson, right? All he's got to do is look in the mirror. That sentence means nothing. But it was a mantra used by a cheap huckster to get a murderer set free. Um, could I tell you that didn't happen in 1611? because the language was simple. I love the quote by McNeil Lair, and I won't give it to you in perfection, but the general gist of it is, while Shakespeare ransacked the English thesaurus, the translators of the King James Bible picked 8,000, I mean, uh, yeah, 8,000 individual words to get and create the greatest achievement in the history of the English language. And this is what they were talking about. McNeil Ayers, no friend of the Bible, let me tell you. But they are at least honest in that statement. Jesus said, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. Now, people want to just run over that. You see... Where do you get life today? How many of you lived before you got saved? By the way, you can't be born saved. You have to be born again to be saved. Amen? So you lived. And if you lived a normal life, there was some pleasure in that life, some things that you were seeking, some goals that you were setting. But how many of you gladly traded that life in to the Lord Jesus Christ for the new life that he gives? And you do it a thousand times over. Could you say amen? amen? Lift up a hand, do something, say, I agree with that statement. Jesus is saying, I'm he that liveth. If you want life, where are you going to go? You got to come to Jesus. I love the wording that David put in Psalm 119, this, uh, the verse, verse 96 is just emblazoned on my heart. He said, I find thy commandment exceeding broad. He's talking about the narrow way, my friend. You see, you will only have true life in Jesus Christ. I am he that liveth. He's the first. He's the last. 
He said, but not only am I he that liveth and was dead. Now, how many people can say that? <laughs> I was dead past tense. I met a guy one time. He said, listen, I was dead once. They declared me clinically dead. I said, sir, that is what we call a near-death experience. He said, that's right. He said, do you get what you said? I said, that's near death. If you're really dead, guess what? They don't have problems with them knocking on the caskets at the cemetery saying, let me out! Because once you're dead, you're dead. Uh, Buddha is still dead. Muhammad is still dead. Lenin is still dead. Jesus was dead. Past tense. Now that ought to cheer you up a little bit, shouldn't it? Even on a hot summer night? Jesus is trying to get us to take a look at him. Now, when John looked at his physical appearance, he fell down as if he were dead. He was totally overwhelmed. And Jesus said, listen, that's good. Fear not. But I don't want you to look at the things that you can see. I want you to see the things that you can know because I'm the first and the last. Once you've seen me, you don't need to ask me. Show us the Father, and it suffices us as they did in John chapter 14. It's all over, first, last, amen? I am he that liveth. If you're going to come and get life, you're going to get it from him, the only one in history that can say, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I read those words. I am alive forevermore. How many of you have been to a church where the entire center of the service was the re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ? They call it the Mass. They call it the Epiphany, the Eucharist, all kinds of different names. They call it a sacrament. That means it's a mystery. And it really would be a mystery how Jesus Christ could be crucified in every church service over and over and over again, hundreds of thousands of times through history. That would be a mystery. But if we go down here, Jesus doesn't talk about that mystery. He said, I was dead, past tense, and I'm alive evermore. I'm not going to do it again, folks. I mean, that unlocks the book of Hebrews for us. That we can understand that Christ died once for sins. And He's never going to die again. If you can't accept what Jesus Christ has finished, you will never be with Him in heaven. He is speaking from the position of authority first and last. As the giver of life, I am he that liveth, was dead, and am alive evermore. And can we all say that next word together? Amen.
and have the keys of hell and of death. Now someone might be here, I thought he gave Peter the keys. Well, he did. But it's not the same set of keys, my friend. He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. What are keys for? They're for opening or locking doors. Isn't that correct? Who preached the first gospel message to the Jew? Key number one. Who preached the first gospel message to the Gentile? Uh, Peter did, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius of the Italian band for any of Italian heritage. Amen. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew. Amen? It just works that way. And by the way, for everybody that argues, Philip preached the first gospel message to the Samaritans, but things really didn't happen in Samaria until Peter showed up. Read the book of Acts. He had the keys. This is a different set of keys. You talk about authority. These are the keys of hell and of death. You see, people have wrongly preached about hell over the years as if they could scare you out of your wits by talking about hell. Now, there is a purpose in preaching on the horrors of hell. The Bible says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we do persuade men. But let me tell you something. God is not happy about hell. It is not his will that any should perish. And no one goes there unless he opens the door. The devil is not in control in hell. Jesus is. He has the keys. You don't go to hell until you step over the cross. We were talking about stories and in Chicago many years ago, uh, they opened the Pacific Garden Mission, which was a place where drunk and, and drug and diseased people could come and, and hear the gospel. And someone else had opened a bar just a few blocks beyond the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission that was called the Gates of Hell. And in Chicago there, they tell this story of a man saying, I'm looking for that bar called the Gates of Hell. And said, oh, that's real easy. Do you see that big cross down there? It says, just beyond the cross are the Gates of Hell. It's supposed to be a true story. But Jesus said it right here. You don't go to hell unless I unlock the door. And the only reason I unlock the door is because you've refused to walk through the door of life. You have refused to believe that I am the first and the last. You have refused to believe that I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive evermore. Jesus has the authority. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He says, don't, don't think that Moses is going to judge you. I'm going to do the judging. All judgment is committed to the Son. 
we will all, if Jesus does not come back first, walk through the gates of death. But for the believer, David worded it this way, it's the valley of the shadow of death. Because real death cannot touch the believer in Jesus Christ. Because eternal death is eternal separation for God. Jesus has to get out the key ring and unlock the door for your soul to enter in. No one goes to hell without making a personal choice to reject Christ. And yet the Bible tells us that is the choice of the majority of the people who live on this planet called Earth. You see, how do we deal with that? You serve Jesus Christ through his church. That's how you deal with that. That's why we support the Mac family in the Ivory Coast. Amen? Maybe we need to think about raising their support. We've been supporting them for $75 a month for the last 16 years. Uh, maybe we ought to give them a little more. I don't know. People get raises, don't they? And sounds like they could use it. But let me tell you something. Uh, it's got to be in the bank before we can send it out. And we don't want to send them extra this month and not send them extra next month. We want to be able to do it every month so they can depend on us. Amen? That's how you deal with the issue of the lost world. Because you can mail all the Bibles you want to. You can send all the tracts wherever you want to. And I'm for all those things. In fact, I just talked to Brother Sandy today and the Friday after our missions conference is over, he's coming down with 5,000 Swahili John and Romans for us to put together. So Friday night, November 18th, get ready. Uh, and it'll cost us to pay for the paper and the transportation and everything. It'll cost us about $1,000, maybe a little over. And we ought to give Brother Sandy a little love offering for coming down and helping us and allowing us to be a part of this. And he's got to go home because we don't have a trimmer or a set of stairs and trim all those by himself. So, um, but this is how we serve Christ. Christ did not talk to his evangelist here in the book of Revelation. Well, I could go on all night and I'm not going to. But he sent seven letters to seven churches. Every one of those churches, he addresses them from the point of authority. In fact, the Ephesian church, he talks about the ultimate authority. He says, I'm he that holdeth, whoops, right hand. I'm he that holdeth the seven stars in my right hand. If you want to skip ahead in the notes, it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turneth it whithersoever he will. If he does that for the king, how many times over should the pastor be right there? Amen. If he's going to be... Amen? It does take some work. It takes work on the part of the people. It takes work on the part of the pastor. It is a joint effort. That candlestick. I just got to tell you this. I've read through this thing so many times and, and preached through the book of Revelation. This is our third time and I'm sitting here and I'm going... You know, people are always arguing about the universal, invisible, worldwide church. 
Well, then why were there seven candlesticks? I mean, isn't that amazingly simple? If there were seven individual candlesticks, one for each church, there's no such thing as a universal church because there would have to be one candlestick for all the churches. That's not true. Because our church isn't responsible for the light of another church. The Ephesian church was responsible for the church at Ephesus, nobody else. Our church is responsible for us. We better listen in the following weeks because he that hath an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Amen? Jesus wants us to hear his message to his churches because we're going to find Open Door Bible Baptist Church through these next seven letters. Now, the reason we call our church Open Door Bible Baptist Church is because we want to be like that Philadelphian church. We want Jesus to open our doors for us. And we don't want anyone, any man being able to shut them. If Jesus opens the doors, they're his. Amen? That's where our name come, came from. Somebody said, your doors are open. That means you just accept anybody just the way they are. Yeah, that's true. But once you meet Jesus, you ought not stay that way. Amen? He ought to clean things up just a little bit because he's the first and the last. He liveth, was dead, and is alive evermore. He's the one that has the keys of death and hell. We had better hear what he says. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the Mac family, and Lord, we just want to join with them and praise the Lord for what is going on, souls being saved, and, and churches being started, and Lord, these village ministries, and just reaching into um, the Islamic community with the Word of God. Lord, we just want to praise you. We want to pray that you would give them strength. And we want to pray for Morgan, Lord, just now as we enter our time of invitation that you would just give her some relief and help her through this time. Lord, we want to serve you together. And we're thankful for the bonds that you've given us with the Mac family, not only in the ministry, but physically and in our families as well. But Lord... We dedicate part of each service to invitation. And it is so easy to take our eyes off he that liveth. It's so easy to forget that you're the first and the last and introduce a little of our own desires and designs. Lord, we ask that each one of us would leave here with a renewed desire to be under the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's just stand together for a moment. The hymn of invitation. We won't sing.